Welcome to Tulsa Bible Church's brand new podcast called Hidden God, where we explore issues of theology and culture in order to help build healthy, relevant churches right here in the Tulsa area and in the States. I'm joined by Daniel Newberry. He's my co-host. My name is Jared Verweel, and this is Hidden God. Well, welcome back to Hidden God. Uh, We are right in the middle of a unit where we're studying the theology of the cross. So I'm just going to jump in right away and review just some of the things that we've been talking about so far. Uh, The first thing we've said about theology of the cross is that theology of the cross is a theology of revelation. God has revealed himself. It's the task of a theologian to understand how he has revealed himself and understand better through his revelation who God is. Uh, the second thing we talked about is that God's revelation is indirect and concealed. So last week we talked a lot about the paradox of God being hidden and revealed at the same time. Seems like it doesn't make sense, seems to be a contradictory uh, aspect of, of God's character, but but there's a tension there in the scripture that's there for us to wrestle with. This week we're going to talk about the theology of the cross that knowing the hidden God is a matter of faith, right? So let's let's jump in right away. I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Newberry. What's up, man? How's it? How are you doing? I'm all right, dude. Good. I'm all right. So it's, uh, it's not Friday this time. It's Thursday. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're getting a head start on this podcast this, this week. Yeah. But it means we can't talk about the weekend. So First, first time in the brand new sound, yes. sound studio. Yes. This place is sweet. It's sick. I don't think I fully understand, though, exactly. Kirk was explaining it to me the other day. I still don't fully understand how these sound panels work. I mean, they're small strips of pillow-looking stuff on the walls, and for some reason that fixes everything we say. Man. I don't get it. A good pillow anywhere (laughs) just tends to fix things. (laughs) That's very true. Well, I think if we're going to talk about um, a matter of faith today, I think a great place to start would be talking about misconceptions of what faith is. And if we ever want to look at what a misconception is, we look at what the culture thinks about that thing. So what does the culture say about faith? I think we can clearly see how culture views faith through a lot of popular songs. I mean, we've got Gotta Have Faith by George Michael, classic. Gotta have faith, faith, faith. (laughs) I've gotta have faith, the faith. I okay, wasn't going to stop. It. I wasn't going to sing it on live. Right. <laughs> but you go ahead, man. <laughs> stop there. That's that's all you got, man. My favorite is Rock Sets Listen to Your Heart. And I'm not going to sing that either. But I mean, it's just that if any if there was ever a cultural misconception right there of what truth is, listen to your heart. Oh my. Oh my. It, th- it's almost like there is a uh, sense of which there's a faith out there for all of us to tap into. You know, if we can uh, think about our modern modern culture and how we're becoming more attracted to spirituality mm-hmm. and to almost like a new age concept, there's a faith that's out there. You've got to tap into that faith, and it almost becomes a matter of having faith in your faith. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a person of faith, right? Let's not talk about what faith is in. Let's not talk about the object of faith. Let's just talk about having faith. Right. And that's essentially what Roxette says says in this song is, 
um, man, look into your heart, Mm -hmm. dig deep within yourself. Mm -hmm. You'll find your true self. You'll find faith there. You'll find love there. Mm -hmm. You'll find all of these things. And it's just this abstract kind of ethereal, nebulous concept of, uh, yeah, it's cool. I'm I'm a cool person because I believe in something. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, they see that they kind of, they kind of put faith identical to hope. You know, I have hope because I have faith. They see it as kind of the same thing, which we believe that too. We have hope because we have faith, but our faith is rooted in truth. It's rooted in God. It's rooted in who he is. Uh, cultural, just saying, man, you got to have faith is like, you're just rooting your, your beliefs basically just in your words. They mean nothing. You know, uh, I would say that Faith, according to culture, is like he says, an element of new age power. It's identical to hope, rooted in mere words, without a, a worshipful heart. There's nothing behind that faith. It's merely a word to them. Right. Yet people use it all the time as some sort of comfort. Yeah. Well, and, and if you, there's a lot of traditions out there that say, if you speak things and believe it hard enough, mm-hmm. it'll come into existence. Right, your words have power. Right, God created the world. Right, with His words. Right, we are Christ followers, just like Him. We can bring things into into play that might not have been there, but we have to believe it. We have to have faith. And my goodness, I just I think about how many people really are uh, attracted to that, mm-hmm. and they have been led astray by it. And ultimately, you know, you come down and you would say, Daniel, I, I realize that you have cancer. You're going to die in a few months from now. You really just need to believe. You need to speak that cancer's mm-hmm. death into existence. And if and if you don't, if you're not healed of your cancer, it's not God's fault. That's your fault, right? Because you don't believe your words enough. Then you're getting into a little bit of a, a Pelagianism there. There's some work on our part, you know. <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, I mean, you have just redirected the object of faith to yourself, right? You know, to inward instead of something that's outside of you, the object of your faith. It's a, it's totally different, and it's a difficult, difficult thing to wrestle with. So, so yeah, what else we got in, in culture on faith? Any other things come to mind? I mean, you know, we also got. Uh, I mean, as far as songs go, "Faith No More" by Epic. Epic. That's like, that's a winner. Right there, <laughs> yeah, gotta love it in the in the in the, in the music world. <laughs> gotta love it. <laughs> but these are some, man. These are some classic songs that everyone knows, you know. And I think a lot of you know we we sing these things and we don't really think much of what they mean, but we truly believe it if we sing it enough, you know. We we kind of get to that whole, you know. You do need to listen to your heart, you know. You just your faith is just a word. It just gives you comfort in the right moments. And right. I mean, if faith is not something. I mean, if the culture is looking at faith like it's some sort of power that we have access to, then we're completely missing the idea of what faith is. Right. Unfortunately, God has revealed himself in Scripture. We know where we can go to find and understand true faith. Yeah, yeah. I love this phrase by Epic. They've, they get to a portion in the song. Um, you want it, but you can't have it. It's in your face, but you can't grab it. It's alive. You're afraid, a lie, a sin. It's magic. It's tragic. It's a loss. It's a win. Uh, what is it? What is it? Over and over again. What is it? It's, mm-hmm. it's this this whole idea is uh, again giving a life to faith. That is, it's such a cultural assumption that is alive and well out there, and it is 
anti-biblical yeah. in every sense of the word. So, Absolutely. But, Absolutely. But yeah, let's, uh, let's jump in here. You know, Luther, when he said that knowing the hidden God is a matter of faith, he, he would say things like, knowledge of God who is hidden in his revelation comes down to a matter of faith. You cannot understand who God is. You can't have a true knowledge of God apart from believing in him, uh, a personal assent to what he has revealed about himself in Scripture. Uh, because of sin, we have a tendency to seek God apart from Christ. You know, we want, just thinking about this just in a, a modern culture, we want a God that's going to comfort us, mm-hmm. that's going to give us our greatest satisfaction in life, enjoyment, uh, the many pleasures that we all pursue in life. Um, and then we see Christ as this one who's he's not always comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not always a, a, a God or um, a person who is going to give us the pleasures that we think we want, right? So it's, it becomes so, somewhat of a dichotomy in that we, we want certain pleasures. We don't really even know what those pleasures are right. until we tap into who Christ is. Um, Luther did a sermon in, on February 24th, 1517. He says this, Man hides his own things in order to conceal them. God hides his own things in order to reveal them. And, and I love that. That's mm. a, this is a different operation which God has that is the opposite of how we we think, we reason, and we function. Yeah, well, and I, I like what you said. It's like, because of sin, we have a tendency to seek God apart from Christ. We see that in Scripture even pre-Christ. They didn't have exactly, like, they didn't have Jesus yet. But there was constant, there were constant types of who Christ would be for Israel, and they were constantly going to other things aside from those forms of salvation that God would provide. We've always wanted to pursue, um, we've always wanted to find ways to get rid of our sin via anything but God, or rather get rid of our imperfection, what we see as imperfection. And that, I think, is where, we, where Adam and Eve fell when we kind of talked about that a little bit last week, was talking about they wanted to reveal God on their own terms. Well, it's the exact same thing. They didn't have faith in God in that moment. They had faith in themselves. And we're always looking for anything anything to solve, to solve our faith problem except for God. Right, right. And this is takes us back to this whole idea, who was the first person that hid in the Bible? Right. It, it wasn't God. It was Adam and Eve. They tried to find God on their terms right. rather than on God's terms. And it led to just chaos and sin. There's there's a definition of sin that we have to come back to at its root. One of the things that we're going to say based on the theology of the cross is that sin is pursuing God on our terms Mm. rather than on his terms. Um, Us coming to an understanding of who we want God to be instead of just believing and embracing the God who is truly revealed in Scripture. And my goodness, if we could get that... Right. If we could straighten that out at its at its core, even in our Christian life, we're going to fail to pursue the God who is revealed in Scripture. Mm. You know, we're going to formulate, we're going to manufacture our own gods, our mm-hmm. own perception of God, and that's when the train gets off the tracks. Yeah, man, we start living for ourselves, convinced that God has hidden something from us, right, and not not enjoying Him for who He is and how He has revealed Himself. Right, and but I mean, and that's like when we Paul sort of addresses all of that idea of what faith is in many of his letters. I mean, if we look at 
2 Thessalonians 2.13, he says that, he says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So basically, I mean, Paul's definition of what faith is, he describes faith as, as true beliefs about who Christ is and the work that he did specifically on the cross. So all throughout Scripture, God's hiding himself. He reveals himself through the cross, but it's only through faith that we can see that revelation. Right, right. And that's it's exactly the opposite of the world right. and how they function. Exactly. Uh, the foolishness of the world is wisdom to God. The mm-hmm. wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense that we would see God perfectly revealed through a suffering son on a cross. It's weird. And yet it's it's beautiful yeah. as well. It's yeah. uh once you once we do truly believe who God is, uh, the object of our faith is, is Christ and we have a, a personal assent, a heart understanding of that, then everything starts to make sense from there. The revelation of who God is becomes that the apparent paradox clears up. The the dichotomies, the the differences, they're really not that much of a, a, a far-fetched idea to try to embrace. It, it makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And God is going to reveal himself different. He's God. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to work and operate on his parameters differently than we would expect. And, uh, and that's, again, it's just a really beautiful thing. But I like where you went with the Second Thessalonians passage. Um, the he- author of Hebrews says something really similar. I want to read a couple verses there out of chapter 11. It talks about faith. And it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, hmm. right? So there's a, again, there's this invisible aspect. Right. God is hidden, yet we believe in this invisible truth right. of, of who God is and what he has done for us. Um, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of the things that are visible, Again, Luther uh, loved to go to these verses when talking about faith. And then finally, verse 6, skip down a little bit, and it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right. So if we're going to get to Luther fleshed out a lot of what he believed and one of the about faith— one of the first things, the things that uh, Hebrews 11 addresses, the first things that Luther would have said is that faith is hearing the word of promise, mm-hmm. right? Where there's a, a promise from God that has gone out, and when we enter into faith, we believe that promise. Right, right. Well, in this definition of faith, I mean, there are—we're going to talk about a few here, but this one here is the only one in this series of definitions of Luther's. That's a verb. You know, we this is an action in which faith is, and it's our first encounter with God because of this faith. It's our first encounter with Him. This is how we come to know God, is by hearing His Word. This stirs up faith in us, but it's also initiated by faith to begin with. Right. It's the it's the only verb of these definitions, right. which I think is a fascinating right. uh, point. And and there's a the aspect of promise is right. huge. It's not... We're not believing in some nebulous force. Right. There's a there's a communication from God that has come to us in the form of promise. We believe that. Mm-hmm. We trust that 
that word is true. Right. You know, and that gives a flesh and bones, it gives substance to our faith. So from the very start, our faith is based on something real. It's it's rooted in who God is. Right. An absolute truth. Right. Right. And so then the second uh, definition of faith that we have here is faith that Luther gives, faith turns away from outward appearances and clings to God without wavering. What does that mean? Yeah, again, just focusing on the invisible rather than the visible, mm-hmm. right? From the outside, Jesus dying on the cross looked like a, a poor criminal in Palestine. Right. Another victim of Roman uh, capital punishment here. Right. You know, and everything about the outward appearance of Christ was unimpressive, insignificant. Mm. Here's a, a a man who's born in a tiny town of Nazareth, you know, or Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good even come from this tiny rural town mm-hmm. in Israel? Um, and yet, when you get past the veneer, when you dig down deep, it's our faith which clings to that Jesus revealed in Scripture, insignificant, um, without wavering. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a confidence there. Uh, when God has revealed Himself, not only can we believe it, but we can have a hundred percent confidence that it is true. Based right. on what he's done in history, uh, based on what we know through our own life experiences as well. Well, and today even we have a lot of promises to base our faith on. But if you think of someone like Abraham, I mean, he's pretty early on in Scripture. There's not as much that he's going to know about God, but he even has this kind of faith when God says, you're going to have a child, even in your old age. I mean, that's turning away from the outward appearance of this is impossible and clinging to God and saying, we are going to have a kid, even though it's completely impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And man, how old are you? 22. 22? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> God comes to you. Right. You're going to have an heir. You could believe that pretty well. It's easy for me to believe. 99, this guy's 99 years old, 100 years old. Right. Gets the promise and still trusts God. Yes. That that's true. Um, man, I'm, I'm going to be 39 this year. You know, we've got three kids. Right. My baby making days are over, <laughs> man. And I'm and I'm still sixty years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to the less of what Abraham was. Right. Not only is he going to have an an heir, a child of his own, but he's going to be the father of many nations. Right. You know, I mean, this is going to be the beginning of a, a race, a history, a people, all starting with this guy at a ripe old age and. And the Apostle Paul goes back to Abraham, too. You know, when he talks about faith in, in Romans chapter 4, mm-hmm. the first place that he goes to is Abraham was justified based on his faith. He considered that God was righteous. He believed that, and and he was justified based on faith. So over and over again in the New Testament, we see these guys going back to Abraham. They go back to David, these fathers of the of the faith, and and that, that tells us, again, this it's not just a New Testament concept. Mm-hmm. This is something that's rooted all through Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. Right, right. Well, and I think that, that definition—I'm not going to drag this out— but that definition of faith, I think, is the one where culture mostly gets messed up. I think because, you know, we say it's turning away from an outward appearance of faith and clinging to God. If we look at these other songs that we were looking at, I mean, their understanding of faith is basically this definition, just take away God. You know, you got to turn away from what's obvious and just have faith in something, right? But I mean, the idea of faith 
hearing the word of promise, that previous definition, that's where our faith becomes validated because we know our faith is based on absolute truth, you know? Yeah, God is a promise-giving, promise-keeping God. Right. You know, this one that we're believing in, he has revealed himself through words. And so we believe we believe those words. We place our faith in those promises, ultimately the clearest being described through the person and work of Christ, who said, I am life, you know, I am the resurrection, I am truth, I am light, all these things we believe in it. It's just a just this this whole concept of faith is so fascinating, you know, and and we really in Bible churches a lot, even I would say Southern Baptist churches, we talk about the need for faith, mm-hmm. but we really don't talk about what faith is. Yeah. You know, there's hey, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ. Right. We all kind of see a intellectual a knowledge portion of our faith, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's it's more than just intellectual assent. Um, faith is a, is a firm conviction in the promises of God. And there's also, there has to be a point in everybody's life where there's a personal assent. Not only is this, um, not only do I believe this to be true for you, Daniel, I believe it to be true for me personally. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, and so I'm believing that he is God and he is going to do what he's promised to do mm. and what Scripture says about him. So there's um, there's a humility aspect that goes with faith. Uh, there's there's just a lot that we can say about what you know what is this and it's and it we don't have to end with this nebulous force that's out there, right you know right It goes well beyond that. <laughs> man, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and then we also can see that, you know, faith, this third definition of Luther's faith is the bond which unites the believer with Christ in a spiritual marriage. And this is where our hope comes in. Yeah. I mean, this is where we have hope because we know that we're bonded, we're bound to Christ through our faith. Our faith doesn't end with, I hope that one day this will happen. It's, I hope because I know. Right. Right. It, yeah, and there's a there's a sense here of um before having faith there was a separation right between us and God between man unbeliever and God. Now when faith enters the equation there's a union. And one of the gr- Bible's most graphic um complete descriptions of this union is spiritual marriage. Mm-hmm. And Luther picked up on that in many times in his theology. The other thing Luther says is that faith is the only key by which the hidden mystery of the cross is unlocked. It's kind of this hinging, is this turning point mm-hmm. of which which things in this relationship between man and God begins to make sense. Right, opens up. Well, and I think that that's how we continue to grow because you know we come to believe in Christ, we're bound with Him in, in unity in this spiritual marriage, and then from then on, we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, and this this faith, our continued faith, helps us to understand His Word as we grow and get to know Him more. Right, yeah. right, yeah, and just. Um, you know, before we move on here, a couple things to point out about faith, and, and theologians have, have focused on this in the past. There's been a lot written on it. But foundational to saving faith here, just going to kind of summarize some thoughts, is number one is a knowledge of Christ's person and saving work, hmm. right? So there is an intellectual a knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. 
but our faith must have an object. It has to have an object. You don't just, you can believe really hard in nothing. And the strength of your faith, you would say, is very, very strong. But if there's no object to your faith, it doesn't matter. Right. You've got nothing on which it's established, it's built, and vice versa. You can believe in something very little, but if the object of your faith is extremely durable and strong and dependable, it doesn't take massive amounts of faith. It takes just a little bit of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and so you see like faith like a mustard seed right. is good enough for the kingdom of God because one day it's going to sprout, grow, and you're going to see it for what it is. It, it's just fascinating. Again, it removes us from the equation, right? You know, our abilities, and the and it puts the focus on the object of our faith, which is Christ. I think that's a great point because I mean, just that passage that you just talked about, faith like a mustard seed. A lot of times we take that and we 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 make faith the thing of power in that moment. And again, that gets back to the cultural misconception of it. But when the the object of the faith is God. It's not the faith that's powerful. It's because of what we believe is reinforcing that faith. Not us, not the faith, but God that's powerful. Right. That's why the faith can be so small. It doesn't matter because it's God who's reinforcing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, it's, it's a key distinction to make. Um, of course, we want to point out that faith involves a personal ascent at the heart level. Right. Uh, it's not just there's a, there's a distinction that Scripture will make that we often hear about in our culture. There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something personally. Mm-hmm. And this is where we would say there's a heart dimension. It's not just that we know about Christ, but it's that we know him personally because in our heart we have placed our faith in Jesus and believe he is who he said he was. Um, but the final thing is is faith involves a wholehearted trust and commitment. Um, and again, trust probably seems somewhat of a synonym for faith. There's not a huge distinction there. But it is important to realize that um, that we have something to hang our hat on in faith, mm-hmm. that we do place our faith, our trust, our full committed trust in him to do what he has said he will do. And uh, it's a, another vital, vital component. You people, Tozer would say this, you can believe a lot about Jesus without truly knowing Jesus. Mm. Right, so you can believe a lot about a person, but there's a sense of that next step of personal ascent at the heart level. Huge distinction to make. Man, if that isn't convicting. I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, man. It's it's uh, it, you know, there's such a an onus that our modern culture puts on knowledge. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a heart level that goes to it as well. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this was if it was you who was was talking about this, or I was reading this somewhere, but someone uh, was was discussing uh, the salvation that they came to, and they said that they they always knew what God had done, and they believed that God came and He saved the world, right? I mean, they believed the basics of of our our faith, right? That Christ came, He saved the world, He died, resurrected. But when they actually came face to face with another uh, with a whatever you call it, a Christian, <laughs> when right. they came face to face with another Christian who was evangelizing, um, they asked them, do you believe this? They said, yeah, I believe God saved the world. And he said, no, do you believe that God saved you? And that was the personal, like, that. that's not just knowledge anymore. That's a heart moment right there. Right. That's, oh yeah, he did 
save me, not just the world, right? Yeah. When you think of it in terms like that, I think that you can you can take this matter of faith and make it just as personal. Yeah, yeah, and that and that kind of faith is the faith that's going to exhibit itself. It's going to manifest itself in the fruits of the spirit, right? In uh, good works, like James will talk about. Um, that's that's where the heart level begins to to show its genuine genuineness, sincerity, right, and truth. Absolutely. So then I guess the next question that we have to ask ourselves is, what role does faith play in Luther's theology of the cross? Yeah. I think, well, you go ahead, you get us started. The theology of the cross is a theology of faith alone and Christ alone. This is one of the great cries of the Reformation, sola fide. Yeah, and well, you know, faith has a dual function in the theology of the cross. I mean, first of all, only through faith, that the true significance of the cross is perceived. You can't understand the revelation of God through the cross without faith. I think that's one of the primary points we're trying to, that Luther's trying to hit home with. Faith is the only way, it's the the telescope through which we can understand what we're looking at when we're looking at the cross. And then two, only through faith that the true power of the cross is accessed. You can't you can't receive the blessing and the salvation of God through the cross if you don't have faith in what's happening on the cross. Right. You can know everything you know, but if it doesn't mean anything to you personally, if you're not really truly believing on Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're having faith that his salvation means anything, that it means exactly what you see it to mean through what he reveals, then you're not going to receive that salvation, the power that comes from the cross. Right, right, and that power applies to the Christian life too. Um, and it, it again, it just doesn't make sense. You know, when a normal person, an unbeliever, will just say, looks at the cross, they see punishment. They see a criminal. Mm-hmm. They see Roman authority. Mm-hmm. But actually, behind the invisible aspects of the cross, the power of God is revealed. The power is there. And it just affirms again that God works paradoxically. Uh, strength is hidden in weakness. Wisdom is hidden in folly. Glory is hidden in suffering. There's just so many, so many truths and so many um, apparent contradictions that make so much sense because of Jesus and what He did for us. Absolutely, and I think that you know, like what you're saying is, you can't without faith, you can't see exactly what's happening on the cross truthfully. You see, you see Roman authority. When you have faith, you know it's actually God's authority. So what we have here is, I think a a, a colliding of faith versus reason. And I think these are two different things, but sometimes we can't tell the difference between the two. So faith sees past the visible, and it actually recognizes the invisible, whereas worldly wisdom sees only what is visible, and God's wisdom sees past what is visible. So when we have this, when we have faith, and we're seeing past this visible, we're seeing the invisible, we're tapping in, it's kind of a weird way to say, I don't really want to put a lot of stake into that phrasing, but God's wisdom where he sees what is truly behind the curtain here, something that others wouldn't see because they don't have faith. They're trying to reason their way through the cross. Yeah, yeah. and we don't look to things that are visible. We look to the things that are invisible. The, uh, the walk of faith is one that we walk and not seeing what's ahead of us, trusting in God's Word, you know, and believing what he said is true. Um, by the way, seeing what's ahead of us as a birthday. At the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is amazing. Uh, this, so, yeah, I'm going to embarrass Rachel for a second really quick here. Her birthday is this Saturday. No, you would never. 
Never do that to Rachel. <laughs> I would. I love her too, not too much, not not to embarrass her. Her birthday's coming up, so if you guys, you know, see her, tell her happy birthday. Uh, we're gonna go camping somewhere. We had a campsite picked out, and then we we had reservations, and they texted us and said, "You cancel your reservations. We're closed." And it was gonna be so cool. We were so excited. Man, but, do you think they closed it? Before they saw your name on the reservation or after? <laughs> after <laughs> they recognized the name. We're on the blacklist, man. <laughs> okay, so like we got to draw the line somewhere, right? You guys right. are like, I mean, you don't get much more social distancing from people. Exactly. Than like camping. Camping. Yeah. What, what, how has the coronavirus influenced camping at all? You're outside and you're separate from everyone else. You're in the middle of nature. What? I don't, I don't get it, man. The other thing I've always thought about, uh, this whole camping thing, and, you know, it's a big conspiracy, man. It's it's just a big conspiracy. I'm just kidding. You're just, you just like your hotels. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. That is true. I much prefer a Holiday Inn to a tent. And you know, man, I, I, I agree. I, I would prefer that in a lot of ways as well. But what I love is I just love being out in nature, honestly. I love finding a sky that is just blanketed in stars. Something about that. It's a serene moment for me. And Rachel loves that kind of stuff too. We're not going camping for me. We're going camping for her. This yes. is her birthday. I got to remember that. Yes. Yes. So, man, you guys are uh, gonna gonna go out, gonna have some have some good times. Find somewhere where you can go, mm-hmm. do some camping, get away, and yeah, and enjoy one another. That'll be a that'll be a great time, man. We're gonna go total like nature freak. Our only food is what we kill, and we're gonna be out there for two weeks. Yeah. No, no, no socialization with anyone ever. Here's the deal. Like if, if you say you come back from a camping trip and you're like, Jared, I'd, I nailed a 12 point buck <laughs> with my Remington <laughs> rifle and everything. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, dude, like I'm sort of impressed. I'm glad you got a good, good buck and everything like that. But let's even the playing field a little bit, you know, (laughs) the buck has no clothes on and no rifle. So if you go out there naked (laughs) with maybe like a knife (laughs) or some kind of like boy scout booby trap, and then you catch the buck, then I'll be really impressed that you're, you're a man, but like, man, shooting a deer with a rifle. I mean, seriously, how hard is that? Okay, fine. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring my knife (laughs) and I'll come back with a buck for you, man. Dude, that would be incredible. Well, and if you hear that I die, then this is on you because you challenged me to this. I mean, yeah, wisdom aside. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a friend that tried to do this. Really? He wanted to even the playing field. And so he was like camouflaging himself, disguising himself, ready to ready to just take this massive knife out and stab a deer as close as he could get. Back in the day, you know, I mean, obviously bow and arrow goes goes pretty far back in history and whatnot, but right. you had to figure out how to kill these things, man. Yeah. And you didn't have guns and yeah. stuff. Well, that's because to begin with, the, the playing field isn't level at all. I mean, deer have, they can hear better than we can hear. They can smell better than we can smell. They know when you're coming better than we would know when someone else is coming. It's true. And also pretty unbeknownst to most people, their hooves are extremely sharp. They could kill you with the, simply by jumping on you. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think like if you really consider it, you know, the bow and arrow was man's way of, I got to get that thing dead somehow. You right. Know? I don't right. know. But then again, I'm not really a tough guy. I'm just, I've, I was raised in the city. You know, I get my food from McDonald's. I don't, I don't go Same, home. same, man. I'm a, I'm soft, mm-hmm. soft as all get out. <laughs> but I will say if you, 
if you stabbed a deer and like presented that to Rachel for her birthday <laughs> and be like, I've just crossed over the threshold of manhood <laughs> in this gift to you. Here's the heart of a deer. I'm I might I might marry you. <laughs> I, you I might be your second wife if you do that. <laughs> Totally kidding. Well, anyway, so let's end the podcast on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Man, great to uh, great to visit again. Thank you guys for tuning in to Hidden God. This is our fifth episode so far. We're really enjoying it, having a great time doing it. Also want to encourage you to, uh, if you have time, you can access the TBC Youth Podcast. Daniel puts out little 10-minute devotions. Those are on Instagram as well. Talk to any of our youth kids, and you should see links in your emails for that as well. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much. Kirk, thanks for all the help. Sound Studio is looking awesome right now. Yes. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.